Alright listeners, welcome to episode 3 of Changing the Game. This week, Leon and I speak to head of SNC at Precision Athletica, Niels Hesterman. Niels worked with the Western Sydney Wanderers women last year, and he also works with Olympians and professional athletes pretty much every day at Precision Athletica. In today's episode, we discuss how to structure your training load when training in season, his role at Western Sydney Wanderers women last year, youth football, and we also discuss the current use of data in football. Enjoy the show. Obviously, your experience would be good to hear in a nutshell, pretty much just anyone listening and perhaps for Leon, what, what your experience is. Obviously, you're from Germany and you've worked in Australia, but clubs you've worked with, experience you've had, in what, at what level? Yeah, so I played for myself up until I was 20, 21, and then unfortunately I had to retire with a groin injury, um, hence why I'm in Australia, I guess. So I just had to, to have a bit of a break and get away from it all and um, came over here, um, played up to yeah, like the high amateur, um, semi-professional level back home, obviously got some good experience there with um, some ex-professionals as coaches when I was younger, um, so going through through all the, the state teams and then yeah, basically, as I said, stopping at 21 and Coming over here, then started being more in the, the physical, um, yeah, I guess, development, um, not just with soccer or football, um, pretty much through different sports and, um, yeah, just um, basically getting experience on that on that side. Um, I did some studies back home, so that obviously helped as well to, to get my foot in the door here in Australia. And then started working... Um, overseas and in China actually so I left Australia went overseas to China did a year over there um, worked in football a um, bit of tennis a bit of golf then came back to Australia and started working with the Milan Academy and that's pretty much when when most yeah when everything was more towards towards soccer towards football worked with some good coaches over there some ex Milan players Andrea Cardi Francesco Zoncelli um, some some guys who played basically in top level for for a long time, so got a lot of experience from them, and started taking over the 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 S and C side for the academy, and started to build a yeah pretty much like a bit more more of a long term approach. Um, how we can put the physical aspects to to the game for into the training sessions for for, for all the young players there. And from there, I moved on and got a job in the private sector, working with the um, performance center, Christian Athletica, um, yeah, here at Olympic Park in, in Sydney, and still looking after soccer as well, football, but yeah, a lot, a lot of different sports, like across a lot of different sports. Um, what else? Yeah, last last year, last season, I, I spent the season with the Wanderers um, looking after their W League team. Um, that was a good experience, um, which I I guess we probably will talk about a little bit more later on. Um, yeah, but 
I think that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Nice, mate. What I was going to also touch on was your, your brother also works. Your brother's a technical coach, isn't he? Yeah, so he is a he is a strength and conditioning coach as well, or athletic coach, um, how they call it back home. And yeah, he works with the team um, in Germany, FC Ingolstadt. They are in the second Bundesliga, but relegated um, two years ago, and unfortunately didn't make it up back into the first Bundesliga last season. Um, but maybe a good thing um, for the club, so they can. They can basically start again and um, restructure a few things, and that's pretty much what is happening at the moment over there. So, what, what do you think? Obviously, with your brother in Germany, you being here, and obviously you have an experience in Germany. Do you think there's a big difference between not just the SNC, but also the football coaching, the philosophy, and also including the kind of physical preparation and the outlook on it? And in football, not so much other sports, but just football. Do you see a big difference between the two countries? Uh, yeah, definitely, 100%. 100%. Um, I think it, it definitely took a while to to see what what are the major differences um, because we obviously always look at the top and let's say here it would be the A-League um, or Asian Champions League and over there would be obviously the Bundesliga. I think the biggest difference is in the youth. Um, it's in the young young kids, um, especially from a tactical, um, I guess, understanding or education, where where in Germany it's, it's, it's just, and, and you know it from back home as well, it's just, um, it's just done in a very early age. They just learn the basics and the, the basic principles and, and they are pretty much taught all the way through up till they get to their um, let's say performance stage when they're under 15, under 17, under 19. So that's that's how it would work back home. Um, they just get the basics over and over again. And I think that's a big link which is missing here um, in Australia, probably as well because the youth system obviously works a bit different. Um, you look at the level back home in the under 19 Bundesliga, um, yeah, you can pretty much take the top players and, and implement them into any any Bundesliga team and give them the experience of playing with Bundesliga straight away. So that's obviously something which is, is moving over here, I guess. So do you, do you, sorry, do you think the, the biggest reason there was because of the physicality of the players and the preparation they've had or because of, because of the tactical understanding that they've acquired from the coaching in Germany? I think I think um, from us from the from the tactical coaching, yeah. um, I think that's 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 a big that's the biggest issue. Um, and I don't want to say it's an issue because in the end it's obviously developing over here as well, and it takes time to obviously set up the structures and uh, yeah. the what is to make it to make it happen. I think the physical development based as well on um, having rugby and AFL obviously as two of the main sports over here. I think the physical development is already pretty pretty good. Um, there's obviously a lot of things which might be or should be a bit more specific from an earlier age on um, to to what kids get when they actually are um, going up into the into the um, yeah nineteen twenties, um, especially in soccer as well. I guess as rugby and, and the other sports are developed a bit better. But yeah, definitely tactical 
understanding, practical knowledge um, is, is definitely lacking over here in the early age groups. Cool. Uh, I noticed, uh, I remember last last year, or a few months ago, you sent me a photo of the Biomunic facilities. So obviously you were at, at the Biomunic facilities. Is that something, do you think, obviously your facility in Precision Athletica is, is pretty much got every, every single bit of equipment you can have. But do you think there's a big a big difference again in the facilities available to players in Germany? Do you think that plays a role in what they can do developmental-wise as opposed to Australia? Or do you think it's pretty much an uneven keel when it comes to the top level? Because I know a lot of there's some A-League clubs that don't even ha- may or may not even have their, um, their own like gym, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, look, I mean, facilities are great and the equipment is great, but I guess the mentality and the structure has to be there as well. Um, I mean, you can have the best facility, but if you don't use it, then I guess, you know, why why spend money on it? So I think back home and especially looking looking into facilities like obviously Bayern Munich, who I think spend over 70 million euros on it, um, they obviously be specific to their needs. Um, they The things they do have, they actually use, and I think that's a point of physical training, in, especially in football over here. Like, it, it needs to make sense, you know, why you would do things and, and why you have things. So, yeah, the difference is, is, is there, but I don't think the facility in the end um, is the reason why a, things can't develop in a better way over here. You know, I think it's more the mentality or it's more the... Um, um, yeah, understanding what is needed from an earlier age. Yeah, I think I think that's a good makes point. Makes difference. I, I think that what people do seem to miss the point sometimes of, especially with youth players. I watch a lot of youth teams warm up and just what they do, even with the ball in terms of they call it fitness or they call it preparation. But some of it, I don't think they do it with a plan in mind. I think it's just they do it because they see professionals do it and they think, oh, this is what they're supposed to do. Um, the biggest thing that always jumps out to me and I speak about it all the time is just jumping and landing and you see kids going through SAQs and it's just random things put together without any progressions or aggressions kids not landing properly and again that doesn't require any facilities doesn't require anything not even a lot of great knowledge it's just a bit of time a bit of planning a bit of understanding of what's required for the kids to develop and you know yourself it develops pretty quickly Definitely. I, I look at things and it was it was um, probably a bit of a coincidence, but like I came across this picture. Obviously, the season just finished over uh, in Europe, and um, I saw a picture from Hamburg. Hamburg as as they, I mean, unfortunately, the first team got relegated, but they basically implemented a new structure. I think three, four years ago now where they basically have set up each team, each youth team, with uh, their own physical coach, their own um, like little team in itself, like a coaching team. And this year, except the first team, um, <laughs> all, the, all the youth teams and the under-23s, they basically came second in all their major comps. And we're talking again about the under-19 Bundesliga, which has teams like your Bayern Munich and the one want to even play the, the under-19 Champions League. Um, Under-17s came second too, um, and even under-15s, they all won their, their local cups or their state cups um, and went pretty far into the, the German cup as well. So it just shows that 
if you lift the quality down there, then in the end, it's, it's, it's obviously it's, it's no question like there will be some good products in the top, and they will then produce for for the first team or even obviously because it's it's also a business. It's um, the club is able to sell players. Um, I mean, we can't forget about that as well. Uh, so the your experience last year, mate. Obviously, Western Sydney Wanderers women. Uh, what was your experience there? Like, what could you like give us in terms of what you got from it? And obviously, that was your first probably delve into a professional professional level at, here in Australia. Was it everything you expected it to be? Yeah. Look, I mean, um, first of all, working working. With females, it's obviously a bit different, especially in a very man-dominated sport. Um, it was definitely there were definitely some different challenges um, to what I was aware of from probably playing myself, and obviously as well being very close with my brother to to with his experience. Um, I think I think a big issue for us last year or in the W League in general in Australia is the gap between the the NPL and the W League. Um, I think that's a big quality issue there, um, which pretty much split our team into to, into two. Like you have your your overseas players who might have played in the in the European Champions League or especially as well in the in the States. Um, and then you have your MPO players who basically play in the in the off season of the W League. They play the MPO, and then obviously vice versa, the other way around. Um, I think it was a big big challenge there um, to get all the players onto the same level, um, and then obviously dealing, um, yeah, with all the things around it. Because in in the end, they are even though it's a professional team, I mean they study, they work. So there's obviously a lot more challenges on that side as well. Yeah, with that in mind, that's something I was going to talk to you about was uh, obviously your role was the SNC coach or physical preparation coach, whatever you want to call it. Uh, what do you? Yep. How did you manage that? Obviously, with the external external stressors, with as you said work, uni, and all the rest of it, and playing, and even some of the girls who maybe did notice that that talent difference between the MPL and the overseas players. That's going to play a factor in their probably mental mental preparation, how did you manage that in terms of physical preparation? Is it something you took into consideration when planning your sessions? Yeah, I mean, I guess um, most most of the girls had definitely some sort of exposure to it. Um, even though I just said we have to, to split them into two groups, I think we always almost have to, to divide it again even more. We had the young the young uh, Matildas who obviously have exposure on um, different physical prep and um, already some monitoring systems um, at the national team. Um, you have your overseas players who are exactly the same. They probably have been in an environment where you already have access to a lot of technology. Um, and then again, you have your NPL players who might have never had experience on that. So um, we had to find a middle ground there. I mean, we had quite a few stuff um, from... Yeah, I had a, um, a guy who, who assisted me as well. We basically worked together. Um, he looked after most of the, the data, um, collecting the data from all the players. And then um, we had um, 
the, the, the sessions filmed and so we had a lot of things we can we were able to use to obviously um, yeah get players um, adjusted to the level I guess um, but yeah it's it was a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what's the uh, uh, questions? Cool. Uh, the the thing about the data that's something I wanted to add, uh, touch on as well. Australia's massive on data. Um, what was your? Yeah. Obviously, you had you had. Oh, oh, it wasn't actually there in person. A lot, I don't think. But Craig Duncan is part of the Western Sydney Wanderers setup, I believe, and he's obviously superb at what he does. In terms of data or data, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> How how did you implement that with Western Sydney Wanderers? And if you did implement it, which you said you did, what what sort of use did you get from it? Or, and how did it change the way the sessions are planned from a technical and physical standpoint? Yeah, so first of all, I mean, we had um, uh, a management or monitoring system, um, like simple awareness, awareness questions for yes. RPE scale, um, which were monitored daily. Um then we had our recovery measurements, um, just basically looking at a standard um, before the season started, and then obviously a comparison um, during the season with basically taking taking recovery measurements every time after the game, um, which obviously helped us to to look into um, certain things in terms of if there are any red flags and if we are um, or if we actually have to adjust. Uh, certain sessions for um, players. Um, I think there were the, the two main ones because in the end it obviously still depends on the player actually putting the right things in um, for us to then, to then actually get feedback and be able to work with that feedback as well. Um, as I said, we were able to film all our training sessions. So the video um, content we got was pretty good just from a, probably more from a tactical point, but then as well, obviously, to look at um, certain things um, during, yeah, during the, the, the training sessions or for the next training sessions or the planning part of it. I guess in the end, it's, it's you can collect as much data as you want. Um, you have to use it as well. And if you don't use it, then I guess don't collect it. That's probably my my philosophy there. Yeah. Um, I can definitely say that the data we collected um, helped us um, in a way that we are or we were able to to look at the sessions and reduce volumes or intensities um, based on on the few things um, I just mentioned before. But as I said, we we still had to consider as well that we um, dealing with the Probably a professional team, which is not hundred percent professional. Yeah, that's a good point. The the data thing has become a bit. Some people became quite obsessive over it. It's, it's like the end of the spectrum. Some people just want to use it for everything. Some people want to go old school, not use it at all. And it's just kind of like you said, it's about getting the data that you actually want to use, and how you use it, and how it's useful to you. And one thing I was going to ask you about as well was with the technical staff in Western Sydney Wanderers. Once you once you looked at the data, I think I've changed the way I've said data and data three times. Uh, when you when you had that information, did you approach the technical staff or were they over your shoulder, like discussing it with you at the same point? 
And how did you then convince the coach to perhaps say, okay, maybe the loan should be reduced here? Or were they all, all on board with it from from the get-go, so it was pretty smooth? Yeah, it was it was pretty pretty smooth. I mean, everyone was across it every day. Um, obviously, we have all access. I've got all access to it. And um, it was always a discussion before training. Um, we trained in the mornings, um, usually either between between Sam, my colleague, um, and the physio, or between me and, and the physio, probably more Sam, um, as I said, because he was looking after the data more than me. Um, and then, based on that, we would have we would have had a quick um, chat with the coaching team um, to see if we adjust anything or if we cut something from the session. So, as I said, I mean, in the end, it's it's, it's a very small group, so information travels very fast. There, you don't need to um, yeah, <laughs> have to have a proper meeting for that. I think in that environment. Um, I guess it would. Or it is definitely different. Obviously, working with the definitely with the men's team, or probably as well in the in the country where our um, bets even bigger on the on the women's football. But for us, it was pretty much yeah in the morning, um, especially on the Monday after the game, um, to quickly discuss what what's going on for the league and um, do we need to adjust anything? So did the players use it? Did the players find it? It was pretty. Sorry, did, the, did the players find it useful? Did you give the information to the players as well? Or was it something that just kept to the coaching staff? Yeah, I think in the beginning um, we didn't have to make too many adjustments. Um, it was more towards the middle of the season where if we did take some of the players out of the some of the, the drills we had planned um, and they might have done some recovery then sure the question always came up like why 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 do I have to do this like I'm you know I'm I'm fit I'm ready um, so basically then you yeah you have to check with the players and make them understand that obviously we monitor their 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 health or their their readiness and um, I think it comes back to communicating it the right way because obviously as a player you you want to train you want to show that you you are the one who should play on the weekend. Um, and we just had to make them understand that, yeah, that um, that we still play, but we just have to <laughs> we just have to um, manage them the right way so they are actually able to play. Otherwise, they, they probably wouldn't be able to. Do you do you have any would you have any advice in in a youth or or semi professional environment where where data is being collected, perhaps like you said with RPEs or just wellness questions? Of how how that can really be be implemented because if you're only training if you're training twice a week maybe three times a week to look across sixteen to twenty players and then really implement when they train or how much they train um, can be very difficult from a from a technical point of view. Would you have any advice on on how how you might be able to manage that if you, if you are collecting that data to really use it effectively? First of all, I would definitely question: Do I actually have to collect that much data for for younger teams or for younger players? Yeah. Um, again, obviously, depends on the setting. I think that's that would be the first big question I would ask myself. Anyway, I think the most important thing is um, 
for the coaching team to have a, a rough idea, um, probably depending on level as well, like probably a bit more of an idea, the higher you get, obviously, um, or the more competitive it is. Um, where you at with your training sessions? I think that's a big, like a crucial thing. Do the players necessarily have to know about that? I think sometimes it's actually good if we don't communicate all the starter stuff to them because in the end, um, I guess with the youth player, often times you see, are they tired? Are they not tired? Um, I mean, I think back when I was playing and I never had my coach coming over to me and ask, oh, can you can you rate this session between 1 and 10? <laughs> you know, so... And, and and that's something which I think with all the data collection, I mean, yeah, I think it's getting a bit too much on that. So that's why, it's why I said in the beginning, like, or just now I said that first of all, I would, I would question, do I actually have to collect the data from them? If you do collect data, um, as I said, I would just pretty much um, collect the ones which, which then I would use. So the simple RPE scale to keep myself probably on track with where I would write my training session is probably the best way. Um, and that doesn't have to be necessarily have to be daily. Um, I think it would be more the occasional, you know, um, probably with the players, you definitely know they're the top performers than maybe the ones who somewhere in the middle and then the ones who, who are in the lower range um, to get an idea of where, where sessions are um, rated from them. But I would almost like hold back on that part a little bit before I implement too much. Yeah, perfect. I I agree completely with that. I think you can you can sort of just become obsessed with collecting information and trying to find out, and ultimately you don't really end up using it, um, and it can just become a stress on the players and a stress on, on yourself as a coach, and you can sort of lose the focus on what you really want to be doing for the case of, of getting data so um yeah i def- i agree with, with I, also, I, I think i think there, there are lots of different things like especially from a physical prep point um and you guys said it before with your five minutes you do just to to learn some movement patterns i think i would i would rather put more emphasis on that and make sure the players move well because to be honest if you if you are able to get them moving well and you are able to increase some capacity, then some of the, the data you might actually collect are not even necessary because you know that they they can cope with the volume you can put in there. Yeah, I think you know, it also. So, I, I think it can also blur your, your sort of coaching intuition as well. If you're thinking, you know yourself, you look at a, you can look at a player sometimes and say to your assistant, "Ah, oh, he doesn't look. He looks tired," and. You kind of know your squad. It's about knowing your players and knowing who's tired, who's not. And you get that data back, and you think, "Oh, it might go against what you think." And like, you, and managing that player becomes a a, a big point as well. Like you said, one person might go, "Why are you pulling me out?" And you've lost that player because you pulled him out. And really, your intuition might have been telling, "Nah, maybe he can go a little bit more." Especially at 14, 15 years old, they've got a, a, a large capacity for work, and they can recover pretty quickly. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think it's got a play. Maybe in the full time environments, maybe at the academies and stuff. That, um, train people training full time, it might be more a little bit closer. But with t- part time squads here, people have got school sport. They've got other sports they play. They do tri- cross country. They've got homework. They've yep. got stuff happening at home. 
it's literally impossible to track anything that makes sense. It's like, well, that is that coming? Is it coming from that? Is it coming from something else? Is it coming from the training we're doing? You can't want a load. It's almost impossible. And they are, they are, that's right. And that these are all things. I mean, probably issues I came across as well um, when I did work, especially with the Milan Academy, um, where we had heaps of players who, who pretty much finished their cross country. They came to training. Um, they wouldn't have you if I don't ask them, obviously, if they have done anything before. Um, and then you run them through a training session. And in the end, you know, they're back next day and they do the same thing again. And <laughs> I think um, we're talking about, younger, you know, younger kids. And, and I mean, they are able to, to um, yeah, tolerate a lot more as well. So um, if we just always look at the data, then... I'm not sure if we if we are moving, especially with the younger um, kids, as you said, who are not full time. If we're actually moving in the right direction. So, what about the moving to adults? Obviously, MPL football. We've got we'll have a few coaches listening who work at MPL level here in Australia, and perhaps back back in the UK who work with clubs that maybe train two or three times a week, uh, or even work with clubs that train more than that. What would you do? From an SNC standpoint or sports science standpoint, in terms of suggesting to a technical coach how to plan his training week, especially in season, I think that's one of the kind of obstacles technical coaches have who maybe don't have that staff member to assist with that sort of thing. So they can maybe plan their weeks a bit more effectively because, again, players playing full time, or sorry, part time, are not not that much different for kids in the fact that they would have they would have maybe a labouring job or they'll maybe trainees during the day, or even a, a stressful job in an office, and then they have a family environment, yeah. obviously, stresses, as you know, loads of stresses in a life that you have to account for, so how would you suggest the best way to plan a week for a technical coach, maybe on a Saturday to Saturday um, game game week? Yeah, I guess, um, I mean, if, if the times are not set, which you often, that's what I experience over here as well, I mean, look at some of the NPR teams they play or they train Tuesday and Thursday and it's just set so they wouldn't adjust it um, if it's quite free then and we go from Saturday to Saturday um, giving them the, the Sunday off um, would be a, a good idea especially considering obviously that they do have full-time jobs and um, or most of them have full-time jobs or even studies um, then uh, having that rest day um, would be definitely appreciated um, by the team as well, because in the end you you're obviously dealing with the person um, and not or with the player, the personalities, not just with the, the, the soccer aspect here. Um, having a Monday session, if you do have a SNC on site, um, being able to, or even a gym on site, um, being able to to do some some gym work on Monday, um, not necessarily on the legs, or probably a bit more like an upper body. Um, core session um, with a light um, tactical or technical session um, afterwards or before, depends on obviously um, time and, 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 and location. Um, having the Tuesday then to push it a bit more. Um, the Wednesday to basically hold back again, have another session on Thursday. So that would be already pushing it, I think, over here because I haven't seen any NBA team who actually trains more than three times a week, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you do have the Friday 
and you can do an activation session for the game, then perfect. If not, then obviously the Friday would be off, I guess. Um, if if there is some gym facility um, available, then having a midweek lower body session, probably in season, um, obviously quite reduced volume, um, keeping intensity high. Um, but that is probably depending on, on experience, obviously, and, and um, depending on how the players tolerate um, the work you do with them in the gym. So that's probably a, a rough, yeah, a rough um, weekly overview, I would say. I would structure it. Yeah, cool. Uh, that, I think the big thing for most teams here is, especially the ones that train three times a week, they have that Friday night session is pretty late. So it's Friday nights, maybe seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night. Um, some coaches that I've seen, or some squads, just tend to overdo it. Not intentionally. It's just the the coaches perhaps want to see that that maybe the buzzing excitement. Uh, the buzzing excitement off the squad before the game, and maybe maybe just a, a pattern of play that they want to see on the Saturday. So that maybe the game lasts a lot. They maybe play a game and it goes a little bit longer than it should. And before you know it, they've played a forty-five minute game, twenty-four hours before their actual game. Um, that that happens quite. I've seen that happen quite a lot, and then again the recovery side of things, which is probably an overlooked side of things in this, the the same the part time. Sorry, not a lot of players really take into consideration whether it be sleep um, or just taking some time to relax, or as you say, the recovery session, which can be still doing something upper body, a light technical session, maybe some tempo runs, maybe on the bike, some something simple but low intensity. Most players tend to do. They train, they'll train Tuesday and just Wednesday completely off, do nothing. Thursday and Thursday, Friday completely do nothing. And try and get themselves going again for that Saturday. When the Saturday kickoffs here are usually 7 o'clock at night. So they've got like 48 hours or 36 hours of doing nothing. It's really hard to get, you know, just grease that groove again and get yourself back in the mix of the game again. Um, yeah, I think that's the sort of obstacles players face and maybe coaches face as well. But yeah, that's a good... Yeah, I mean, I do. I do like the um, the Friday night session. Is is I think it's 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 a well, like it's a good play session. Yeah. If it's um if it's used the right way, hundred yeah. percent. Like as a activation session, um, just to get the the new system um firing, and obviously as well, like for a team team sport, like um having having a team together before before a game. Um, closer to the game as well, not just 48 hours, but having 24 hours or even a little bit less. Um, it's obviously a good, a good aspect as well to, to, um, yeah, from a team spirit point. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think what you just said before as well, like having the Tuesday and the, the Tuesday, Wednesday, I say as the, the two days where you can definitely push it and where you have to push it, um, in a certain way. Yep. Um, I would like to use the Monday from from a more tactical um, aspect because if you do so um, have some recovery going on from the weekend, um, usually it's a time as well when it's still quite fresh on let's say the mistakes you have done last in the last game or um, obviously um, being able to work on that. Um, I think that's that's always a, a good approach, but yeah, from a from an intensity point, definitely that midweek um, should be should be used for for some good intensity there. Yeah. Um, before you then start pretty much winding down again, and then just some activation before the weekend before you start. Yeah. Cool, mate. Quality. 
Um, the, so what thing we were quite big on here is kind of continuously looking to grow and improve ourselves from technical coaches, SNC coaches, and that's part of the reason why we have you on as well. So technical coaches can learn a bit from you. So from your time in the game, is there anyone you've worked with or learned from or even just learning resources that you'd recommend or people you highly commend to, to look up or that you've learned a lot from? Um, I guess, I mean, anyone I have worked with, I, I, I definitely have learned a lot from um, in different ways. Um, different ways when I was playing, um, I learned from obviously the coaches who, who were my coaches at that time um, how to <laughs> how to play and and um, probably become a, not just a better player but a better better leader. I guess in in that part, um, I think these days it's it's definitely my brother. Like um, I've been pretty much in touch with him. Like I don't want to say on a daily basis, but we are um, talking a lot and. It's more probably that that he is he is asking me about things, obviously, which which he is implementing over there, and then vice versa. Um, and we're just feeding each other with information. The time at Milan Academy helped a lot, um, talking and, and working with guys who, who played on or coach on, played and coach on top level for for more than twenty years. Um, yeah, you, you get a lot of insight there. Um, probably one of the, the, the most or the best experience was one of the, the Milan guys from the Milan lab came over um, because they had a partnership with the Swans yeah. um, he was talking about how they see players and how they um, basically um, creating, creating that next superstar um, that was quite interesting um, how they yeah, basically um, teach the basics and, and master the basics um, to to then obviously build on top of that and have a nice robust player who, who can basically adjust to any 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 system any type of, of, of game. Um, yeah, otherwise, as I said, like just basically anyone I, I, I deal with in the in the coaching world or is helping helping to develop and putting different or having different influence on me, I guess, as a coach. Cool. In terms of um, education, I mean, I went through the, the EXO system um, for my athletes performance system, which is um, yeah integrated into the, the, the German or the German national system or the German national team and all the uh, youth systems. Um, which gave me a good system or a good structure, and I think that's what it's about. I mean, if you have a, a solid structure in place, and then you can obviously adjust to whatever the um, the club needs or whatever the team needs. But you definitely have to have some sort of philosophy or a system which um, which gives you pretty much the same what I just said for the players as well. It gives you a base you can work off. Um, the last thing I wanted to discuss with you, mate, was not just an SNC coach. You're also doing a bit of some software, a 360 athlete. So it'd be good to hear a bit about what that is and how it can help coaches, perhaps in a gym setting, uh, and anyone else listening. 
Yeah, so I, I started that a few years ago, and it's pretty much an, an online system um, where I'm able to to provide programs, physical programs for teams or individual athletes, and it's obviously, I guess, born from a bit of, of passion um, for both, for the technical side of things, but then as well for, for obviously the sport uh, um, in general. So, yeah, it's an online software, which is pretty much um, the summary of what we already talked about today, like some data collection, <laughs> um, but then as well um, providing, providing some, some systems for, for players, for, for athletes who um, basically need some guidance in their training. And um, I guess that's, that's a yeah, very easy or simple way to explain what what I do with that? Yeah. Nice. Uh, any Last thing, mate, we'd like to get from you is a wee bit of advice to anyone listening, especially in, in particular players, uh, but coaches as well. Maybe working with part-time squads, if they can maybe introduce one thing or focus on one thing to enhance uh, preparation for their game day or training. What would you think they could get the most bang from buck bang for their buck? I wouldn't. I don't think I have one one thing in particular. I think the thing I can I can say to coaches and players, and that's basically what I do, is be consistent. Like if you do implement something, just stick to it and do it every day, every second day. Um, I think that's that's the most important part because your body will take time to adjust to certain things. If you try something one week and then you change it for the next week. Um, I think the, the, the reality is that you probably won't get much from it. So it's really about um, having having some consistency with the things you do. And that might be to um, put that little new stretch into your dynamic stretch into your warm-up. Um, it might be that um, contrast shower, the hot and cold showers you might do after the game or after the training session to recover better. Um, just stick to it. Like get your get your system um, used to it and and then as soon as, as that is in then you you take the next thing um, less is more I guess that's a that's a good um, good way as well to, to see things like it doesn't always have to be the the most advanced thing like get the basics right as I said do them consistent do them not just good do them great and then build up on that do, do you have any tips on being consistent? Because it's probably one of my weaknesses with things is uh, is, is re- really sticking at something that like like the contrast shower string for example for that and, and really seeing that because it could be a small thing that over a long period of time could make a big difference. But in the short term, you may not see those gains. Do you have any advice on on how how you could best be consistent with things or how to sort of train your mind to to do so? Um, I mean, being in a team, being in a team sport, um, I guess that already ticks the box. I mean, you, you're with people who are already following or who are already doing the same thing you're obviously very interested in as well. So um, for a coach, I would say um, find that top achiever in the team and start implementing it with him and he can start driving it for the team. Um, I think that would be, would be the approach um, in a team environment. 
um, to to get the people who who can who can um, lead the team that them do rather than you as a coach because I mean um, they have to see it they have to see someone is doing it and um, that's that's where the top achievers I guess um, play a role. I think for yourself um, is important that it's, it doesn't have to be perfect. As I said, like it doesn't have to be every day. Uh, um, set a goal for for a week, and the goal might start do it once. Next time, next week you do it twice. You do it three times until you hit basically seven out of seven, and then it's about capacity. It's about basically um, doing it over and over again. And if you look at nutrition. Um, we haven't really touched on that today, but nutrition is a good example. Um, you can have that snake here and there. Um, that won't make a big difference, but it will make a big difference if you have it every day. And if that's the only thing you have, then it will 100% make a difference. So um, as long as the, the, the good things are better or more than the bad things, then you're in a good way. Brilliant. Yeah, it's cool, mate. Um, the last probably a thing for you finishing up, mate, would just be maybe let people know uh, if they're interested in what you've said and where they can find you or maybe get in contact with you. Yeah, so, I mean, um, you already mentioned 360athlete.com.au um, is my, my personal business um, where I do some, some online training. Um, I'm based at Olympic Park here in Sydney. I'm working out of Precision Athletica. Um, we... Yeah, we are. We opened the doors two two years, two and a half, three years ago, and basically a performance center um, covering nutrition, mindset, um, the physical part. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty much a, 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 um, the approach everyone should have, not just um, improving one thing, improving all of these components and yeah, that's where, where you can find me. So precisionathletica.com.au um, you will find some information about what we do and how we might be a, a good um, yeah, a good place for you to, and you're on to in- develop your career. You're on Instagram as well, aren't you, mate? I'm on Instagram. So it's just Niels, um, Niels underscore Hesselman. So just my full name. Um, yeah, definitely give me a like. Um, <laughs> it would be nice. <laughs> give me a like. <laughs> uh, That's what you say, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know, mate. <laughs> That's what the kids say. Uh, Cole, mate. That's really good, mate. Great information.